Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we continue our discussion on the emotional stress of COVID-19 with a conversation on how your marriage or partnership can survive a pandemic. Boy, that's a fabulous topic. And my guest is always on our mental health and emotional issues is Nora Ann Brooklocker, a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Welcome, Nora Ann. Hi, I'm so grateful to be here with you once more. Yes, we. Um, it, it's becoming routine for you and I. I don't know what a week would be without you and I discussing some uh, really important topic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And Jackie, who uh, who tapes and is sort of my producer for this, um, she and I always talk afterwards on many of them because they're of such interest to us. And I'm sure this one won't be any different. For many couples, COVID-19 is forcing us to spend the vast majority of our daily hours each day in the same surroundings with the same adult person. What is the good news for a couple <laughs> about all this togetherness? What um, What is the positive? And then... Of course, we will discuss um, the sort of bad news of it. Um, many relationships yeah. have not experienced the huge level of stress that COVID-19 has brought. Children at home, financial issues, social isolation, fear of getting COVID, and worst of all, nothing new to watch on TV. It's no wonder there has been a surge in divorce. And what I'm reading, Noran, is that there has been a surge in divorce. Is that what you understand, or there will be when the when we're not so close together. Right. So let's first start with, with that. Um, what's the positive here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Let's end on that too, shall we? We'll do the not so positive in the middle. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I would say the positives are this increased togetherness, uh, this quality time, the opportunity to slow down, um, to take the time to truly connect with one another. Additionally, going through a year like this is extremely revealing as to the strengths of a relationship and might, in fact, help people to recognize aspects of one another that they have previously taken for granted, forgotten about, or that they, in fact, just appreciate so deeply. On the other side of it, all of that actually uh, has its downside, all that togetherness, the opportunity to slow down, to see the things that previously might have been so much more easily um, falling through the cracks or swept under the rug um, because each person has been too busy to take a look at the problems that have been brewing underneath the surface probably for quite some time. Well, that's true. That's true. When we're that busy, we don't look at somebody's day-to-day habits, sort of. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there might have been little stressors, little things that have been weighing on one person or another, um, but it it just wasn't the right time to address it. Um, So really, in in both the positive and the negative, um, it's been an extremely revealing and vulnerable experience, and it's highlighted those areas of strength or quote-unquote weakness that need to be addressed, can no longer be ignored, denied, or avoided. 
Um, and as far as the divorce piece, yes, <laughs> I have definitely uh, personally seen quite a number of divorces, in fact. And and part of that, again, has been that in quarantine, um, there, this year in particular has had a number of additional challenges, such as the BLM movement, as well as the election, which really might highlight some differences in values or beliefs that can be particularly fundamental to foundation in a marriage. Um, it might also be that coping mechanisms have been vastly different, and each person's needs can come into conflict with how the other copes. So really, until we hit a really hard patch, it's hard to know how we're going to weather it. So before a couple gets married, I often ask, um, for example, have they traveled with one another yet? <laughs> right, <laughs> that sometimes right. can be one of the ways that we discover that. But this year in particular is, is another uh, prime example. Mm-hmm. Well, I know down the road, um, a few weeks from now, you and I are going to discuss difficult conversations. Um, and one of the things here is having the difficult conversation um, about what is bothering you in a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in a marriage. And the difficult conversation of saying, gosh, we're together all the time now, and when you do blah, 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 um, it really upsets me. Right, right. I think that this brings to the table um, recognition of John Gottman's Four Horsemen. Uh, the full title of that is The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse of a Relationship. <laughs> uh, so John Gottman and his wife, Julie Gottman, are leading researchers in couples' uh, work, and their their work is just fascinating. Um, but they were able to watch a couple of arguments for about five minutes and determine with about 90% accuracy whether or not that couple would still be uh, together one oh. to five years from that point oh. in time. Oh. And it was based on um, whether they had these four horsemen as well as the ratio of repair attempts to negative interactions. So uh, we'll go over the, the four horsemen first. Um, criticism is the first. So criticism is really about the person so much as uh, not so much about the action itself, right? So there's a big difference between saying, hey, it would be so helpful for me if you were able to um, help me out with some of these things that I, I know I'm just falling behind on this week and it would really mean a lot to me uh, versus you never help me out. You always leave it on my shoulders. Mm. I'm always the one that has to do this. Like that's much more the criticism piece. Mm -hmm. um, the second one here would be defensiveness. So it might be that somebody really tries to very carefully craft what it is that they're they're asking for, you know, having their needs met. Um, but it might be that the other person just perpetually is on the defensive and always hears it as a criticism. So uh, defensiveness can look a lot of different ways. It might be that somebody automatically says, no, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> it might be that... <laughs> It might be that somebody automatically goes to tears, right? And it's like, oh, 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 oh I, I, I didn't mean to make you cry. Okay, uh, well, I guess we can talk about this another time. Er, it stops the conversation. Right. 
And, um, I mean, there's, there's additional ways where maybe the person starts being demeaning to themselves. Like, you're right, I'm such a horrible person, I never help you. And again, they're like, oh, uh, okay, didn't want to go there, but all right. Um, so that, that part of that uh, really, it's pretty common. Criticism, defensiveness, those are fairly common in relationships, right? Especially if you're having a, a hard day, feeling particularly irritable anyway. Um, the really big red flag for me personally as a clinician is when a couple is displaying contempt. That's number three here. So contempt are really those big, big issues of disrespect, right? You're hurting to hurt. That's where the insults come in. That's where the eye rolls start happening. That's where we start really raising our voice. And um, this is where it gets ugly. So at the point that contempt has entered into the relationship, not only is that a really great time to, to get support, um, but contempt is definitely a sign that you're going in a very ugly direction. And, and then the last you. one here, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm going, well, yeah, that's like a that's like a boulder going downhill, don't you think? It, 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 it absolutely is. But, you know, one of the things about it, too, is that sometimes it can be a little insidious, right? Meaning that you don't recognize it right away, yeah. right? It, it's yeah. one of those things that kind of starts to creep up, creep up, creep up. And then all of a sudden, oh, how did we get here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the fourth one here is stonewalling. So stonewalling is when um, perhaps one or the other has become really flooded. Um, they, they just they, they can't continue the conversation. Um and so they, they check out, they shut down. Um, in some worst-case scenarios, it might mean that they, they leave completely, um, and that leaves the other person in a state of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not able to get a hold of them. Are you okay? I don't know if, if you're all right. Um, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's going on with you? I can't connect with you and that's that's really really hard in relationships when that shutdown happens so So I think I've um of course Jackie and I are sitting here listening and I think I've done uh three of those in my past in the past not the contempt I don't think I but yeah the stonewalling I've done where you go I just can't talk to you sure Mm -hmm. that's an easy Mm -hmm. out yeah yeah, or it looks well, like an easy out. It looks like an easy out. Well, and that's one of the repair attempts here as well, to be honest with you. And that it's not the stonewalling that's the repair attempt, just to be clear. It's the recognition I'm becoming flooded. I can't continue this conversation with you as much as I would love to because I'm just not in a good place anymore. Would you mind if I take a couple of minutes, take a few deep breaths, just really get a hold on myself to to process through some of what has already been said, and then maybe we can come back to this conversation in, say, five to ten minutes when I, I feel a little bit better, right? That's a repair attempt. It's recognition of I'm not okay. Well, it and also, then, at least for me, would be, that uh, that person is vested enough to come back to the conversation. They're not just abandoning me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that you're not going to go into the same level of anxiety on the other side. Yeah. 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 It's uh, like when someone says, "Can I talk to you?" and uh, and I say, uh, "Not right now, but in ten minutes, mm-hmm. I can." And then I'm not. I'm not telling them they're not worth of my, worth my time. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I previously mentioned as well, we have to be very careful about what time of day that we're having these conversations, right? So it might be that you're trying to get out the door and somebody opens up Pandora's box and you're like, oh, this is not a good time for that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to come to a place of resolution with five minutes to get the kids and everything else packed and out the door and in well, the car and you have somewhere to be. That That's not a good time. For do you think, Norian, some people do that, at, probably subconsciously, that they do that so that they know the conversation won't happen? You know, that might be one reason, certainly, for, for some people. Um, it might also be coming from a place that they're already stressed, and so there are other things that are happening right at that moment, like why won't you get your shoes on? You're, you know, you're delaying. You took too much time with your makeup. It, it, there's all sorts of issues yeah. that might come up with that, where that when we're already in a place that's triggering us, we might be more likely to remember the other things that are also bothering us. Well, it, you know, marriage is um, difficult but worth it uh, sort of navigation in good times. And now we've got COVID. I mean, I uh, I just think that the, that it's a uh, mountain to climb with all of the stress that's happening for people. Um, tell me about some things that couples can do right now in amongst all the COVID. Uh, do they need to listen more? Um, what do they need to do? So listening more would definitely be one of those repair attempts, right? Um, sincere apologies in the moment. So, for example, if we can have recognition of, oh, I've just said something that did not feel okay for me, I need to own that statement because what I've just said, oof, it did not sit well with me. You didn't deserve that. I need to own it right now. Um um, so I, I would say that in short, um, we have to identify some really healthy coping skills for those very uncomfortable emotions. Life in general can be really a difficult, difficult at so many points in time. And right now in particular, it might even feel pretty excruciatingly difficult um, as far as this chapter goes. So learning how to cope through uh, some of these mundane, mo mundane moments as well as the discomfort um, in the moments of tremendously painful time it are, are really necessary skills to have. And I think having generosity, having compassion for one another, one of my absolute favorite um, tools to use with clients is what's called braving. It's called the components of trust as defined by Brene Brown. Um, and it's powerful. So it's a recognition of boundaries, reliability, accountability, being a vault, um, and I'll go through some of these as uh, you'd like, um, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. So when we can really uh, look to these points of trust and identify those areas where maybe we're struggling, but also those areas where we're really excelling, I think it can really be very beneficial to coping not only within the relationship, but within one's own self. Well, that makes that makes good sense. How do we how do we cultivate positive coping skills? 
So let's be clear here that not all coping skills are created equally. Um, That's true. Yes, it's sometimes extremely tempting to engage in behaviors or coping mechanisms that provide temporary relief. Mm -hmm. But that can open a whole plethora of other difficulties for you down the road. So first be willing to acknowledge that both of you in the couple have some work to do um, because that is true of all people on the face of this earth. Mm-hmm. We all have areas in which we can improve and work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And by doing the work individually, it does allow for us to be able to better tune into the work that needs to be done as a couple. So cultivation of those coping skills, it, it might mean that you uh, choose to go to therapy together. It might mean that you choose to go individually. It might mean that you recognize within yourself, I'm not okay I'm not happy. It's not necessarily because of my relationship. It's just that I'm having a really hard time with these extremely difficult circumstances, and I need to do what I can to better support myself. And then I'll have perhaps a bit more capacity to be able to be there for my partner as well. Well, how does a how does a couple know that they need some outside help? What what would be what would be the red flags? that they can't do this on their own, repair, reparative. Right. So I would say that, again, if you're if you're noticing that the contempt is definitely beginning to creep in um, or that you kind of just don't want to try, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that's a really good, a really good sign um, that it, something's not quite right in the relationship. Um, and I think that there there are times where we we want to be able to be there with one another, but we're just having such a hard time really hearing each other. I'll be fully honest with you, even though I'm a therapist and I have a whole toolbox, I know these skills, I know all these different uh, pieces, when it comes to my own marriage, I try very hard not to be the therapist. And so my husband and I, as needed, will go to couples counseling, um, not because there's anything necessarily, quote, unquote, wrong in our marriage, but sometimes it's really beneficial to have just that third party that can help us sort through different pieces that arise where we're struggling to hear one another in Um, because we care deeply about our marriage and we care very much about hearing one another. Um, One thing that I would also really recommend is what's called the plus, plus, minus, plus approach. Uh, So in some ways, uh, it is that starting on the positive. When we start on the defensive, or excuse me, uh, I misspoke there. When we start on the negative, it automatically puts people on the defensive, right? So um, if if you start in an area where people feel as if they are being criticized, then they're going to shut down. They're going to have a much harder time hearing you. Um, and when it comes to those those initial positives, they have to be sincere and they have to be authentic. And we don't follow them with a but, right, or however. Right. right. right? Both of those are going to remove that sentiment of the, the genuine uh, and sincerity of what you've just said. Um, And it also makes you slow down where you have to really find the positives of the situation. So if you're not really able to find the positives, again, really good sign that it's time to uh, go in and get support. How can time alone 
for uh, time alone, certainly for a couple, but time alone away from each other. How can that be helpful? So if you're getting to the point where just the way someone is breathing is becoming grating to your nerves, (laughs) (laughs) it's probably time for a small break. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I I think it's really great to encourage one another to do things that you know are going to be supportive to their mental well-being. Um, So when you notice those small little details about them are just getting a little bit off, um, then that's a really good time to help them have recognition that it's time for self-care. Um, and so when it comes to alone time, it's one of the hard parts, I think, of COVID has been that we have lost these other support systems that would normally right. be in place, right. other friends or family members. I think that it's it's really nice to not necessarily have to have all of these conversations with each other. You know, I um, myself being pregnant, there's a lot of things that my husband wants to talk about that I'm like, ooh, I just don't have the emotional capacity for that one right mm-hmm. now because it's particularly jarring for me. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage him to talk about it with friends who perhaps might have a little bit more capacity to discuss it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's it's a really powerful thing perhaps to, uh, for me as an introvert, I, I like to recharge my own battery um, with having some time alone. And it is definitely particularly difficult in uh, very close proximity. You might be able to be one room away from the other, <laughs> but right. then um, even still it might be that you're just really, really struggling. Um, so that alone time um, or at least just even being able to do things that bring you uh pleasure. Um, And so again, that might be a walk, it might be um, going to play golf with with a family member, uh, you know, somebody whom you are being very careful with the social distancing with, um, that you guys agree upon. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of ways to do it. But it's it's ultimately it is extremely supportive to the relationship. So do you think, um, Norian, with the increase in the divorce rate, um, and we look back at um, the COVID pandemic has been going on now almost seven months. Do you think that the, and this probably maybe isn't a fair question, but do you think the increase in divorce rate is they were couples that that it wasn't so glaring that they weren't um, doing well as a couple and then the pandemic brought it out and they maybe didn't sort of course correct. I mean, why why are we seeing this rise reasonably dramatic in the divorce rate? So I think that with high emotions, with high stress, less capacity to necessarily hold space for one another, it might be that some of these divorces are a little bit impulsive, um, not to say that they're not, you know, necessarily accurate in their decision of that, but to go back to those four stages of change, sometimes it might be that um, we want to get out of, of the, the limbo of the stress of a situation and we identify this is a stressor, so I need to get away from this. 
Um, and it might be that uh, some of those decisions could be a little bit impulsive um, and not have the foundation, which ends up with some deep regret and shame because it's from the, the in-the-moment feelings. But I would say that there probably are quite a number of couples who just were no longer really functioning well together and that this decision was quite a long time coming, finally pushed into the light for them to process. Um, and for those couples as well, I would say that, you know, there's this idea that sometimes breakups have to be awful and heart-wrenching. And it's not that they're not heart-wrenching, but they can still be amicable when they're thoughtfully and constructively discussed. Um well, that, but in either case, it's it, it's hard. That Gwyneth Paltrow conscious coupling, she called it. I always thought that was an interesting phrase. Hmm. She sort of ushered in a um, another a new way to look at it. I'm not so sure it uh, was a good thing, but conscious coupling was the word that was uncoupling, I guess. Conscious uncoupling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would you suggest that couples put off any major decision like separation and divorce during a pandemic? Because it just seems like that's that may not be the time to make those kind of major decisions. I think that it's very much dependent on the couple. Um, I think that when children are involved, when um, it's requiring moves, to happen, um, whether it's to, you know, now having separated households or even some people are moving entirely to different cities or states. Um, I think that those are definitely decisions that maybe this isn't quite the right time for. We'll get into it in a later podcast, but, you know, let's say domestic violence is involved. That, too, is another situation where that might really require that swift action is taken. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, it's really dependent on the couple and what ultimately um, they feel is most in integrity for them. Well, we're going to talk on another podcast down the road on how to choose a therapist and also difficult conversations. So those listening, if you're interested in these topics, and certainly they they go along with talking about the stress of a relationship during COVID, um, look for those other podcasts that will be coming soon on difficult conversations. So, Noran, some last words for people that are maybe um, listening and and maybe thinking, I don't think we're doing very well. What would be your your sort of advice and support to them? I would say recognition um, that you are, in fact, on the same team. And as hard as it might be trying to show tolerance for one another's reactions, I think that this is a time where we're all needing a lot of generosity from one another And there are times where other sides of ourselves come out and we don't like it. (laughs) We don't like seeing those sides of ourselves. Um, But again, if you can have some really strong accountability and perhaps this really has the uh, opportunity to deepen the relationship in ways that you could have never fathomed. Mm -hmm. You know, this very well might be one of those years that, yes, 
extraordinarily difficult and has the potential to really um, show us what we're made of in the best way possible. Mm. That's a nice way to end uh, this conversation, Noran, on uh, the stress of a marriage or a partnership during COVID. Uh, thank you so much for this valuable conversation today. Thank you as well. We've been discussing how marriage and partnership can survive a pandemic with Nora Ann Burklocker, a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Uh, it's been a fabulous conversation. Uh, think about letting your partner know how much you appreciate them. For a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. Be well, everyone, and please wear your mask.